Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Win Today podcast, where it is our mission to inspire people to win today by connecting with amazing leaders and sharing amazing stories. My name is Ryan Cass, and I am your host, and it is my passion to serve others and equip you with tools to win today, tomorrow, and in the future. We are committed to bringing you dedicated, talented, and passionate experts that will inspire you, educate you, and push you to reach your goals and secure a prosperous future in life for yourself, your family, your community, and those around you. We love inspiring people to win today, push forward, overcome obstacles, and live their greatest life. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please help us grow and continue to serve as many people as possible on our mission by sharing the podcast, subscribing, and if you feel led, hitting one of those buttons that has five stars on it. Now, thank you so much for tuning in, and let's connect with our guest. This is episode number 30 on season two, and it is my honor and privilege to have Dr. Troy Hall as a guest on the show today. Troy is a globally recognized leadership expert, talent retention consultant, speaker, and author. And Troy is someone who I have the honor and privilege of calling a mentor, but more importantly, a friend. Dr. Troy, welcome. Thank you so much. You know, I'm really so excited to be here, Ryan. You want to know how excited I am? How excited are you? I'm so excited that if I were any younger, I'd be your twin. <laughs> I thought you were about to say, I'm so excited that if I, that I would be you. So I'm glad that you, there you go. I was telling, I was telling Dr. Troy last night that he is not allowed to come on here and say, if he was doing any better, he would be me because I stocked all of his other podcast appearances. So I, I appreciate that, Dr. Troy. Oh, no problem. I have to make it unique for you, Ryan. <laughs> well, you know the question I'm about to ask you, and I'm so excited to ask you this question because you are, in my book, the originator of this question, and I've been asking it to the last six or seven podcast guests, and it is amazing. What is something that is not on your resume or bio that makes you really proud and why? For me, it would be the way I was able to honor my mom and dad. Mm. And I take that from a biblical principle that asks us to always honor our parents. And I know that sometimes for some individuals, it's not always easy to do that. They may not have had either a complete set of parents or they may not have had those that were very loving and caring, but that was a little different for me. And oftentimes when I talk about my parents, people think that it's more of a Disney film or it's a Pollyanna view, but we had a traumatic experience when I was 12 years old. My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer mm. and we lived in a small rural town in West Virginia, a forgotten coal mining town. We had poor economic conditions, unlimited education. We were 30 to 45 minutes from the nearest uh, large uh, manufacturer or employer of people or medical facility. And over 50 years ago, when someone 
was diagnosed with cancer, it was inevitable that that person would die. And so we thought mom would die, but she had a very different outlook on life. And what she said was, I'm going to live as long as I can live until the good Lord takes me. And I'll do whatever I need to do medically, but I'm going to continue to keep living. And so she arranged to have her surgery during the summer that I was off school. And my job during that summer was to take care of her and was to nurture her and to uh, take care of my dad. My dad was the protector and provider. Mom was the caregiver and the nurturer. And so we spent a lot of time on the bedside and uh, imparted a tremendous amount of wisdom into me. You know, one of the things that she told me was, she said, Troy, she said, you can be anything you want to be, but just be the best at it. She said, if you want to sweep floors for a living, that's fine with me, sweep them. But I guarantee you, I'm going to get out of this bed and I'm going to go check the corners of those rooms because anyone can sweep in the middle of the floor. Mm. And that's the type of woman she was. And the good news is she lived 43 years beyond that awful summer. But the last five years of her life, she had dementia and she eventually passed away with Alzheimer's. But the good news is my dad and my mom got to live with me and my wife and family for the last five years of their life. Mm. And so uh, it's, it was just a great opportunity for me to do it and to pay tribute to my mom and all the wisdom that she provides to me, much of which you will hear during this podcast, comes in a book called Fanny Rules. And it is 31 teachable moments. These were memories that were taken from mom that I'm now given back and uh, wrapped around these nine rules for living. And in that uh, opportunity, my proceeds of the book Fanny Rules benefits the Alzheimer's Association. I love it. And what a great way to to get to know someone who someone truly is at the heart level by asking that question. And I'm going to tell you here for everyone to hear it, because I've been only talking about you for the last six episodes now, especially on episode 28. I basically told people why I'm asking this question. But as you put it, Troy, it, this separates role from identity, right? Because someone from the outside could pull up your website or your LinkedIn and they can see, wow, Dr. Troy has spoken and consulted all over the world. He's had a very successful 40 year career, chief strategy officer at South Carolina Federal Credit Union. List goes on and on and on. And you would think, well, he must be most proud of the fact that he made tons of money doing these these jobs but then you ask that question and you go straight into the fact that you know you're most proud of really honoring your your parents legacy and your and your mother's legacy specifically and i love that you took all that wisdom and and put it into a book it got me thinking you know one thing that my mom always told me especially when i was younger acting up was the boy you are today is the man you're going to be tomorrow. <laughs> and, Excellent. That's and I love advice. that, you know, our parents can be such great teachers with the let, with the wisdom that they impart on us, but then also even in the not so good times, I want you to quickly from your side, talk about why that question I asked you is so important. Well, for me, it's important because it does create this great opportunity to talk about 
who I am or who someone else is as a person. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, especially like in business events or networking, we always start out with the question like, oh, what do you do? Or where do you work? Uh, sometimes we might even, you know, throw out a curveball and say, where do you live? And it, all of those just kind of really relate to the role that you play. But Oftentimes, you don't get to really find out who the person is, maybe until much, much later. But you see, I subscribe to the concept that it is connection before content. And I have this great colleague, uh, Benjamin Toy, a world-renowned team builder and, and team bonding expert, has done programs in over 120 countries, works with me as we have uh, continued to expand the Cohesion Culture Program. And that was something that really resonated with me was when Ben first started talking about connection before content. And from there, I then developed this question that I thought would be a great question to start. And I really suggest for leaders in an organization to think about that as well. When you're interviewing a new candidate for a job, although I'm not the talent acquisition expert, I'm the talent retention expert, it's still great to know that there is something you can ask that will will find some depth, you know, into a person. And, you know, and if an individual only wants to talk about their accomplishments, then they talk about their accomplishments. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. What I'm saying is it gives you an opportunity to expose something that's below the surface and that transparency. And we know how, tra- how important it is to be transparent as a leader. All the choices and decisions that we make are, are so paramount in the effective leadership we have uh, for it to really work well. And I I refer back to my mom, which is why I'm really glad we got a chance to start with her in the beginning. Of course, now keep in mind, I had a good relationship with my dad, but my mom is the star of the book. So these lessons will will come from, from there. But, you know, she told me that my character would always be defined by the choices I make, not the circumstances I find myself in. We were poor by circumstance, not by choice. She had cancer by circumstance, not by choice. So she said, if you want to really develop yourself as a person, then make those choices. Make the choices in the things you read. Make the choices in the things you do. Make the choices in the persons that you associate with. Everything you do, make a conscious and intentional decision to do it. Don't just simply become casual. And that has reminded me how important it is to work for a leader who is purposeful and intentional and not a leader who is accidentally getting it right. Mm, That's strong. I love it. And let's get into the cohesion culture. And really what I want to do is uncover some of the value that you bring to the table as it relates to being a leader. And where I want to start this When I say leader or leadership, I believe that some people can get intimidated by the the word leader or the subject of leadership, thinking that it is something complicated or it's only reserved for titles that start with manager or director, chief executive officer, etc. But one thing that I loved in cohesion culture in the first act is that you break down the myth of leadership and leadership being that it's defined by a title, which is explicit leadership. And you 
talk about implicit leadership, which really says everyone is a leader. Break down the myth that leadership is reserved for those with titles and talk about how each of us can view ourselves as leaders and really this topic of implicit leadership. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, you know, the first thing let's do for our listeners is make sure they understand this concept of cohesion culture. That way there'll be some uh, opportunity to bring context to how all of this sort of relates to each other. So the concept of cohesion culture is about creating a safe workspace where people have a sense of belonging, value, and shared mutual commitment. So cohesion culture is a trademark program that provides a ton of education and leadership development for organizations so that they can retain the talent in their company. And they need to do that because 71% of their employees are looking for growth, development, and advancement. And so the leadership principle that really underpins all of the cohesion culture concept, and again, we're not changing the culture of a company. We're not asking them to everyone become a cohesion culture. What we're saying is infuse cohesion into your culture because when you have cohesion in an organization, you get performance and engagement. So everything is about leadership, and that's why Act One of the book deals with leadership, because if the leader isn't right, it doesn't matter what happens with the culture, it doesn't matter what programs you want to put in place, they're not going to be successful if the leadership is not right. Mm -hmm. So with with that in mind, it's important to um, understand that transformative leadership becomes the basis. And transformative leadership says, I will focus on others first before self. So you see, already you've started with a collective mindset that says, I'm going to focus my energy somewhere else. Um, a great uh, you know, time that I had with mentoring told me that it wasn't important for me to think about having others be successful if I expected to be successful as a result of it. Now, let's be clear. We are going to be successful if we help others be successful. But if our intent is to be successful because we help others be successful, we've all of a sudden ruined the whole concept. And so therefore, we have to start over. So in leadership and thinking about it, I find sometimes in organizations that, that people want to hide behind a title in regards to being a leader. Mm. And so therefore, they take that institutional power that is provided to them through that level of authority saying, aha. I'm in charge of this, I'm in charge of people, and therefore that is leader. And for many decades, that's really how people thought. They thought of it as leader follower, uh, leader employee. Uh, today, we think about leadership in the implicit category, which says that everyone is a leader. If you ask questions, if you uh, answer questions, if you get involved in how a process works, if you explain something to someone else, if you process a piece of paper, if you move one thing from another, if you do anything, even if you're on an assembly line and you're putting a nut onto a bolt, you are technically a leader in that moment. So the opportunity is to always remember that we're leading in the moment and understand that yes, I will have explicit leadership responsibilities that come with those titles and job duties and responsibilities, but I have to break all that down and think, I'm a leader all the time. Mm -hmm. And you see what that does is that allows me to remember that when I go to the grocery store, when I go to the dry cleaners, when I go to the pharmacy, 
when I go through the drive-through, how I interact with those individuals will demonstrate the type of leader I am. And that hence goes back to the choices of my character are going to be based on how I want to interact with people, not whether or not I had a bad day or I had some ugly circumstance. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I have a, a really important thing to mention, and that is that this concept of leadership that I talk about is really a Western sort of viewpoint, a Western cultural viewpoint. When I was um, at De La Salle University in Manila, I had an opportunity to teach a little bit of a leadership program. And one of the questions I ask in this program that I ask when I do it in various places is raise your hand if you think you're a leader. So I asked the question to the Asian students. I said, raise your hand if you think you're a leader. Now, I was expecting there to be a multiple number of people who will raise their hand. Now, some people raise their hand because they participate. Some don't raise their hand because they don't participate, whether they were felt they were a leader or not. They just don't raise their hand. But nobody raised their hand. I mean, it was like crickets. And so I had this moment where I had to think, okay, clearly, all right, what do I do? And I remember this technique, and this technique says you always ask open-ended, non-leading questions when you want to diffuse a situation, when you don't want someone to be defensive. So I said to the students, I said, okay, what would it take for you to raise your hand to be a leader so that I could start gathering information? And what I found through that concept was that in the Asian community, they would not accept the title of leader until they had earned it. Although they may be acting as a leader, they would not accept the title. So it now allows us to now really take the concept of implicit leadership and say that whether or not you say you're a leader, your actions will be defined as leadership. Mm. And so whether you feel worthy to wear that title or not, I'm not going to argue with you about. But what I will put before you is that your actions should dictate leadership each and every time. And when employees of an organization can understand that, when employees of an organization can agree to be teachable, and when they can agree to view what they do through the lens of being a CEO as though they are in charge of their area, in charge of their area like it's their own company, you will see a complete transformation occurring within the organization. I love that. And I love that I appreciate all the context that you put behind implicit leadership, because one thing that I want people to really understand is that even if you're the individual contributor on an org chart, you are still a leader. Even if yes. you are a person, as you mentioned, walking through the grocery store, you are still a leader because, and you, because you have the opportunity. I'm sure everyone goes through a grocery store and sees that someone dropped something and didn't put it back or or someone's in need, like their leadership is not defined by a, a title. And one thing that I love to do when I'm walking people through the factory at the Boeing company, especially the new employees, I always spend the majority of my time walking them through the factory to where they can meet the mechanics, the people that are building the airplane and I always tell them, and I'll introduce, and I'll, and I'll take them upstairs to, to the carpet and, and the fancy areas, but I say the most important person that, you, you that we just talked to, or sorry, you just met the most important person you can know at this company, and it's the person that's building that airplane right there, because 
on the org chart, sure, they might be at the bottom, but they're the ones that are securing our livelihood. They're the ones that will teach you so much if you spend time with them. And it, I scratch my, I often scratch my head as to why more people don't realize that. Uh, a lot of it just has to do with, uh, you know, just really what we understand through our social uh, behaviors and uh, could be how we've been brought up or how we've been thought about. And, we're, you know, we're seeing a great shift today in, in leadership. It's not the leadership of Jack Welch. You know, it's not looking for the bottom 10 percent and can we get rid of them so we can bring in somebody else more effective and keep moving them down. It's not about having people clamor to the top. What we're looking for today are individuals who will lead with others in mind. And that is extremely important. As a matter of fact, people make choices and decisions on what company they actually deal with based on the social responsibility of that particular organization. And they believe that if that organization is focusing on the environment or focusing on some area within some social um, injustice or, or handling uh, you know, one of the, the issues that we deal with in the world as far as uh, you know, depressive issues such as agriculture or transportation, uh, egalitarianism, any of those issues, then it says, aha, this is an organization that truly thinks of someone else before self. And it removes that egotistical barrier that comes up in leadership. And that is really what where people are going today. They're much more uh, aligned with that type of leadership than they were with the uh, concept of this is the boss and I do exactly what the boss says and I never bother the boss. As a matter of fact, we many leadership courses teach that you challenge the status quo. As a matter of fact, a uh, specific uh, researchers, Poons and Posner, that most individuals may listen to, who are listening may know, or they can certainly look up on Google, but they have a leadership model that focuses on the concepts that, first of all, an effective leader models the type of behavior that says that they have a moral compass that doesn't do harm to themselves or others, that they uh, inspire other people to do things. So it's not just about them, it's about helping others do things. They challenge the status quo. They enable the heart uh, of others and they encourage the, um, the employee. So they have this robust way in which these leaders now can lead effectively within an organization. And all of this falls up under transformative leadership. And as people hear me say that, and they may read in the book and more about the transformational leader, why this is so important is because over many decades of research, the individual contributor has never suffered at the hands of a leader who followed the transformative principles, who focuses on others first and then self, and then these other four principal characteristics. They not only have vision, but they teach it. You know, Ryan, how important that is. Like there are leaders who understand a vision and they'll tell you what the vision is and then they kind of leave it to you to kind of figure it out on your own. Well, that really doesn't work. What really works if you're creating transformation is you're teaching it along the way. Not only you're explaining why something needs to be done, but you're showing them how to actually do it and how to accomplish it. And then you have to have emotional intelligence. You have to be able to have what we call self-awareness and then self-regulation. You know, it's one thing whenever a leader has an issue or an error 
pointed out to them and they may then acknowledge it. But the most effective leader of transformation will understand and recognize their behavior when it occurs and correct it immediately. And that becomes the self-regulation. And they don't need someone else to have to point it out to them. And then that emotional intelligence also goes in with the aspect of not only understanding their emotions, but how they can manage the emotions of others. And they need to be a good social architect, which basically says they know how to get along with people. And then lastly, they create a trusted environment. Because without the trusted environment, there is little hope for long-term relationship. Because long-term relationship is built upon trust. It's built upon the fact that I can have assurance that your behavior, that your communication, that your treatment to me will be consistent with the way that we would expect it to happen something that would make sense for everyone. So I call that the vest of transformative leaders. And in the teachings, I ask them to put on the transformation vest. And that is have vision and teach people about it, to have good emotional intelligence, to create that, that uh, social connection with people, and to support a trusted environment. You know, one thing that I love about everything you mentioned and really what's in the book. And then when you break down leadership, when you truly break it down to the steps, it's actually a simple thing. Nothing that you mentioned there and nothing that's mentioned in the book is rocket science. It's <laughs> if I had to break it down and, and, and again, I know that you've done a, a lot of research and it's awesome. So I'm not discrediting your research. I want people, I think people understand now, everyone listening understands, hey, regardless of what role you have, you are a leader. We are leaders. Now, leadership in itself isn't this big complex thing. It's it's taking care of of people. And what I love, I want you to talk a little bit more, or rather, we haven't introduced this yet. You bring up seven values of cohesion. And just talking about the simplicity of, of leadership and cohesion, be teachable, have compassion, extend grace, seek truth, show humility, exhibit a pure heart, and bring peace. These are the seven values of cohesion that are mentioned in the book. So someone listening are they supposed to master one and then move on to the other? Or do these all work cohesively? I'm probably answering my own question here, but together. <laughs> yeah. So talk more about the, the values then and how you can incorporate those into your life. Well, great. Well, one of the things I'd like to, to take a second to do is to define leadership because we've been talking a lot yes. about it and now and we brought some background to it. So now let's define leadership for people. And so it is the ability to motivate, influence and enable others to be successful. That is the most powerful and positive and effective way to view leadership. Now those words have been selected very carefully. So oftentimes when I will ask individuals and say, "Well, tell me what does it mean or what is the purpose to motivate?" And they said, "Oh, that's to help people get to where they want to be." And I like Okay, but that's the whole point of them being successful. But what is the action of motivation? What are you really doing? All you're doing in motivation is stimulating an individual towards some desired outcome. And when it comes to influence, well, what is influence? Influence is molding the thinking of others. You can't just leave it to chance. I've had 
over 28 years serving in a C-suite with multiple numbers of people reporting to me. And I can guarantee you that if you don't help people figure things out, they will make it up and they make up some pretty crazy stuff. So you need to mold the thinking of others. Like, what are you putting into your head? What are you listening to? Who is part of your trusted council? Do you have a grounding board of individuals who will not tell you what you want to hear, but will tell you what you need to hear? And then the last is enabling. And what that is about is providing resources and removing barriers. And if you think about that now, you can say, I motivate, influence, and enable others to be successful. Or you can say, my job is to stimulate, or my role is to stimulate, to mold others' thinkings, and to make sure that they have their resources, and I've removed obstacles so that they can be successful. So we take that definition now, and we begin to build from that. So the seven items that you mentioned, there's what I refer to as the seven attributes of an effective leader of cohesion. So what would these characteristics be? And I thought it was important to make sure that leaders not only said, well, okay, I can be a good social architect or I might create a trusted environment because I know some tips and some techniques to do it. But what does the essence of the leader need to be? And I start with teachable. Now, okay, I'm just going to ask you, why do you think I might start with teachable? Because a leader doesn't need to know everything but they need exactly. to be teachable. The two biggest mistakes that leaders make, number one, they think they have to know everything and they have to do everything. And my mantra is, you don't have to know everything, you just need to be teachable. And if you as a leader will adopt teachability as your first attribute, all the rest fall in line. Mm. Because it's a little hard to not be humble when you've already acknowledged you don't know everything. And if you then show compassion, so you can show compassion, but not be teachable. You can, but to be teachable, it's hard not to show compassion. So it's sort of why I begin with it. But then all of them work together. So they're going to have a dynamic uh, you know, flow between them, times when one uh, area will be more utilized than another in doing it. But I just have felt that those seven attributes were very important. And again, referring back to some of my biblical background, those were taken from Sermon on the Mount. Those were taken from the great leadership principles that were taught to individuals. And it's like, these really make sense in how we can use them each and every day in our lives. Whether we choose to follow that biblical principle or not, there isn't anything wrong with them. There isn't anything wrong with no matter where your spirituality is, would you not want to show compassion to people? If you don't, you have something else wrong with you and it has nothing to do with spirituality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, and I love the, again, what I like to do is break down subjects, concepts into what are the, like, what's the one, two, three. And because I typically, I think in pictures or just big object and how can I make it a small object and then I'll understand it. And the be teachable piece, I think that's so important because, and I'll speak to my experience with that. So majority of my day at the Boeing company is spent with stress and design engineers. And folks know that, most folks know that I have a business background. So when it comes to structural design, et cetera, that's not my sweet spot. 
However, the team that I, that I lead interfaces with this group frequently. And I came into this role about a year and a half ago in, in quality management. And I said to the team, look, the majority of my team average years of experience is close to 15 to 20 within the quality organization itself versus my seven and a half year or seven year total career plus, you know, one year of being in this role. So I came in and said, look, guys, you guys are the experts. Y'all are keep doing your thing. My role as the leader is to one, understand, you know, what it is that that we're expected to do and then clear roadblocks and help us get help you get where you want to go. And every day I feel like I'm I'm wearing a white belt. I'm the kid in, in karate class with the white belt, but I believe that that's what has allowed me to be able to to move forward. I I have no problem saying, "Hey, look, I don't know. Teach me something," and that will help me at least be able to help you or understand you. Yes, my my mother's message to me was: she says, uh, "Troy, it'll be much better for you to be a Mister uh, Learn It All." than to act like a know-it-all. <laughs> you know, one of your books, next books needs to be Dr. Troy's list of analogies or some, or one-liners. I swear, guys, if y'all are ever in a conversation with Dr. Troy, make sure you have a notebook with you. Or I was talking to Dr. Troy the other day. I was at the beach and I brought a book to read. I didn't bring my actual notebook, but what did I end up doing in this hour conversation? I started taking my pen that I used to write book, you know, my notes about certain things in the text. And I flipped over to the very front cover and started writing down things that you were telling me. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for saying that. I love that, that you're, you're uh, full of wisdom. I want to go into back into this transfer transformative leader leadership piece. You talk a lot about, being able to not only share the vision, but then teach the vision. So I've seen many times where we in, in corporate, where it can seem like a new strategy is rolled out, quote unquote, or a new vision is rolled out and it looks really neat. There's a cool background, cool backdrop. It, it gets sent out to the entire company. It might get talked about once or twice. But then after that, it fizzles out and I would be willing to bet that not every employee would be able to recite what was that one vision or piece that was shared at this big meeting a month ago. Mm, I'm not sure. Right. When we talk about teaching the vision as a leader, is that something that should be repeated daily? Is there a certain frequency level? How do we keep vision at the forefront? What have you found that works best? Well, I think it's important, first of all, that uh, we sort of give some analogy to the concept of the visions, the examples that you gave. And when working with an organization, I like to know the difference between did they create a sparkler or did they want to have a painting? Mm. So if you have a sparkler, you light it up, that thing is going to be gone in a little while. But if you paint a painting, that painting can last longer. So when it comes to really espousing the vision of an organization, 
the important thing is, will it attach to the goals? You know, you can have clever, crafty, and, and flashy all you want, but vision needs to also be innovative. You see, innovation is a process. Innovation solves a need. Vision should solve a need, should solve something that the organization needs to do. It's a direction of where they're going. So vision, we often think, is, oh, it's just someplace over there. Well, it is, but why do we want to get there? We want to get there because it solves a particular need that we have in the organization. So we always want to make sure that vision is aligned with innovation because it solves a need. See, so you don't have to be clever, crafty, and sassy to be innovative. You just have to solve a need. Your vision doesn't have to be clever, crafty, or sassy. It just has to solve a need. And if you do want to be clever, crafty, and sassy, and it doesn't solve the need, it's called art. (laughs) So taking the vision, now understanding that we are now creating a painting, you need to display it. You need to make sure that it is talked about, that it is reinforced. And you want to do it not just with a clever way that somebody used to roll it out to get attention. And now we've got these clever color schemes and we may have a new logo that goes with it or we've got some fancy brochure. I mean, all those are supplemental pieces that are really nice, but those are the icing. What I'm looking for is the cake. I want to make sure I've got the cake. Then I can put the icing on it. So all of the vision that I have should also be congruent with the goals of the organization, should represent the core values of the organization. It should not come as a surprise to many of the people who work there. It should become a natural evolution of what they understood was the direction of the organization to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then how you reinforce it through company meetings and communication, living it out, creating sustainability. So to make it work, to make the vision work, it's not just enough to say it where I'm teaching it, but you need to say, how can I make it sustainable? And how will I make it sustainable? What will I do to sustain that vision within the organization? And then that's just where the leader has to, you know, answer those questions and do those things and and be consistent with it. You know, one of the things that tears down a vision is whenever it's provided and people look at each other and go, what? That doesn't make any sense. What, what? What is that? Or there is a vision and it requires people to act a certain way. And then there are individuals within the organization that don't act consistent with the vision and nothing ever happens to them. And you kind of think, well, that's kind of silly. And maybe the vision really didn't mean as much. And so therefore it starts to become diluted and watered down or it becomes the vision of the month or the vision. Oh yes, right. Here we go again. This will be really hot until somebody goes to another conference and then they come up with another really great idea (laughs) because you see it didn't attach to anything. It just was, it's almost like you're laying a blanket over top of something trying to cover it up and, and, and trying to then say, well, this cover is something that's new when in fact it isn't helping. It's not doing anything at all. I like to call it chart charts and crafts charts and crafts so troy we've learned about one that everybody is a leader and we've talked a good bit about how to be a transformative leader and really what that means what leadership means and beyond taking great care of people and putting others before self 
and communicating a, a vision. Another part of leadership is it's how you think. And a lot of it goes back to, or is strongly weighted on mindset. And you know that I love to talk about mindset and I want to pull out something from the book that really resonates with me and I believe with listeners as well. And it's this topic of influence thinking. And I'm going to quote you here on page 24 and then I'm going to jump into the words that we speak. So page 24, influence thinking requires leaders to have a mindset rooted in common purpose values, and goals. Influence thinking motivates, influences, and enables others to accomplish their goals, dreams, and aspirations. Influence thinking coupled with a strong mindset. I'm jumping over to page 26 now. We speak our existence each and every day, and our words shape the world in which we live. It's important we claim I am not Someday I will be. Talk through influence thinking and really how we should shape our mindsets to align with being a transformative leader. Well, there's a lot here. We may not necessarily be able to unpack it in just this one podcast, so you may have to have me back. So influence thinking involves these three aspects. It's the mindset it's the voice of others, and then it's the actions that you want to take. And those actions you want to take are all derived from what you have really put inside your mind, what have you put inside your head. So it's like, what are you listening to? Are you listening to Ryan's podcast, which is a great podcast, gives you great information? Are you listening to that? Uh, do you listen to uh, music that inspires? Uh, or do you just you know, you know, what is it that you put in? So it's not right or wrong. So there isn't a right or wrong about it. It is a matter of what you want to get out. And so the one thing I think about from influence thinking is I want people to focus on the positive. So I have two specific messages. One of them kind of leads a little bit about the future. The other one talks about standing in the I am. So here are the two messages. The first one is you can't be a victor of your future if you're held captive by your past. Mm. You are never going to get to where you are, where you can be if you only rely on what you have been to think about that. So you're influencing the mind and mindset. So you have to open yourself up. That's why it's important to be teachable. It's about that mindset, that openness. Will I accept new ideas? Will I accept the information from new cultures? Will I accept information from people who don't look or act like me? And will I at least listen to it, whether I choose to adopt it or not, but can I take it in so that now I have an opportunity to influence the choice that I make in a way that now thinks more broadly than just from a very silo thinking. I've often told leaders in an organization, you cannot rise to senior leadership when you are a silo-minded thinker. You have to be an enterprise-wide thinker. And yes, you might want to say when you, you know, when something comes around like, oh, how does it impact me? But if you're stuck there and you never get beyond how will this impact others and how does it impact the organization? How can I provide solutions that move this forward? It's because I get stuck in what I'm comfortable with. And we love our past. We sometimes make it, it's a blanket that we roll ourselves up into. It's very comfortable because why? It's, there's no uncertainty in it. We already know everything we need to know. But to get to the future 
where we need to be, we have to step out and we have to think about things we never thought about. We have to learn things we never had thought about. We have to talk to people that we would not normally talk to. We have to seek out those individuals who don't look or act like us and get information. Then we have an opportunity to be a victor of a future that we would never have had if we'd been held captive by our past. You see, you can't get to the future unless you're in the present. You don't get to the future from the past. You don't leapfrog the present to the future. You move from the past to the present. You may do a look back to the past, which is important for reference, but it is never the focus. It's why when you're driving a car, your windshield is much larger than the rear view mirror because you look back only incrementally, but you move yourself forward through the vision of looking in that direction and getting your eyes wide open and expansive in that area. And so your influence thinking is about how will I be that leader? And the truth is when I ask you to be in the I am, it's because I believe in this message. The truth is in the I am, not the someday I will be. There is mm. strength declaring who you are today and claiming it than to wait until one day when you think you are good enough to be there. Now we compare that back to the Asian students. So am I now... Am I now saying that the Asian students are waiting for someday to be? No. All they were doing was waiting for the title to be claimed. It didn't stop them from being the leader. They weren't saying, I'm not a leader. They just didn't claim the title. So let's be clear about the perspective of the way we would look at it. So we don't have to be perfect in the role. We don't have to be already there. But if we gear our minds to say, I am this, then our actions each and every day will correlate to that and will make that happen. If I were to say, I'm dumb, I'm stupid, I can't figure this out, I can't get this done, we will prove ourselves right every single time. Mm -hmm. We will not do it. We will not get it done. It will not happen. If you want it to happen, you say it to happen. Why? Because we speak our life into existence. Our words choose our life. If we believe that we can accomplish something, then we will accomplish it. And there are a lot of examples in life where that has happened. People have overcome adversity one after another. People without limbs who are successful in things that you could never imagine, who became artists, who became uh, computer science, who run in marathons and, and other sporting activities because they believe they can. And therefore, they're putting themselves into the I am and they're not waiting for the someday when they may have, have figured everything out and they'll be perfect at it. You know, we're always a work in progress and our influence mm -hmm. thinking should always be mindful of the fact that we are truly an evolution of a work in progress. So claim today the I am. Claim who you are today. Don't wait until some magic time when something will happen before you finally decide to get it. Because if you do, you're going to miss out on being that victor of that future because you were held captive by your past. I love that. And I feel like we can make an episode on that alone and the, the power of the words that we tell ourselves. Because when you say, I am X, Y, Z, you're wiring in your subconscious that you are that thing. And I've, I've even put this into practice myself because I've read through a lot of books, spoken with a lot of leaders that, that, and even think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill, classic example of this, that you write things down as if they already occurred. 
So one thing that I was doing before preparing to qualify for the Boston Marathon this year for weeks leading up to it, every day before my workouts, I was writing down, I qualified for the Boston Marathon on March 26, 2022. And I would write that three times a day, three times a day, and I would look at it. And then the day of the race, I wrote down, I qualified for Boston today before I actually went to go run that race. And sure enough, yes, did I still have to go lace up the shoes and go get it done? Absolutely. But it already had happened in my mind. And therefore, I believe that played a big role in accomplishing that goal. And to your point, where the consequences of not speaking to yourself positively, I love the quote from Henry Ford, if you think you can or you can't, you're right. Whenever someone tells me, well, I can't run a marathon, I said, well, yeah, you're right. You know why? Because you said you can't. You've already told your mind you cannot do that thing. And another one that I like to tell, another word I heavily encourage people, I urge people actually to eliminate this word from your vocabulary is try. Can you try to try to raise your hand real quick for me, Dr. Troy? You just did it, right? I did it. You did and it. I tried and I did it. You and did I it. Am right, I am right there with you in, in, in understanding that you don't have to use the word try. I was coaching a client the other day and completely had that very same conversation where the person says, well, I will try blah, blah, blah. And I went, no, that's not what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And I said, say that again and take out the word try. And the person said it again. And I said, see how much more powerful it is when you just declared what it was that you were going to do. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing, too, for our listeners, let's make sure they clearly understand. It isn't just writing it down that makes it happen. Mm-hmm. It's the hard work. It's yep. the dedication. It's all of those other pieces that go into it. Yep. But what happens is you're focusing yourself on doing it. That writing it down is creating what I consider a mental contract with myself that here's my promise, my promise that I'm making to myself. And do I want to fulfill my promises? Then what actions will I need to do to fulfill that promise? So it does, it's not just about a matter of writing it down because if so, that may kind of come to this concept that I say dreams become vision when one is awakened into action. Which means that I can write it down that I'm going to be in the marathon, and that's a dream. And I can dream that dream all day long, and there's nothing wrong with dreams. But if you never put any intentionality, any honesty, any purpose to what you're doing, then you don't get to the you don't get to the vision. You don't get later to achieve what you wanted to do because you held it in a dream state. So dreams and aspirations are important to to have. It's that they're important to express. But they have to live beyond that. If not, they're stuck in this this vacuum. They're stuck in this perpetual place of never advancing. And to advance them, we have to put action to it. And that's what you did. You practiced, you trained, you ate right, you read information, you bought the right clothing. You did all those types of things in addition to writing it down. And that writing it down was just a way to formalize the agreement that you've made with yourself, the promise you made with yourself that you were going to be a victor of this future because you were going to be held captive by the fact that you had never done this before. I'm telling you guys listening, you need a notebook when Dr. Troy is speaking. (laughs) You're dropping a lot. This is awesome. And 
my favorite stat for those that know me and have been listening listening for a while you've heard me say this a million times but just by writing something down studies show that you are 42% more likely to accomplish something and then when you share it when you put it out there in the world those odds increase to up to 70% and that is backed by the American Society for Training and Development so with those odds at play there is literally nothing stopping anyone from writing down what they want in this life and what you're going to do or who you are going to be or rather who you are, who I am, and and allowing that to really shape your life. Dr. Troy, I want you to go ahead and drop your plug for you know, how do people keep up with you and everything that you are doing, learn more about cohesion culture and the work that you and Ben Jamin do. I want you to talk about that because I want people to have the opportunity to keep in touch with you and all of the amazing things you do and all of the great value and wisdom that you are constantly dropping. Well, thank you for that opportunity, Ryan. I, I really appreciate it. So to connect with me on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, it's Dr. Troy Hall. I made it really simple. 10 little letters, and you can connect with me. And if you add three more, you can connect to my website. So it's drtroyhall.com, and you'll be able to find me and interact with me. Uh, the Cohesion Culture book is available on Amazon. It's paperback, Kindle, and Audible. Here's the really cool thing. We wrote that book in 2019. That book is available today, and it is still in the top 1,000 of business books, and there are over a million books being published and so I'm very excited about the fact of doing it. Um, and uh, it, it, I hope that individuals will really get an opportunity to connect with me and know that when I say connect with me, I'm really serious about it. So, and you can find me on my website. So there's ways to do that. And if you reach out to me on my website, I will connect with you. I make sure that uh, we've got a team that will make sure that we get back to you uh, in a very reasonable time. I get back to you personally. Uh, as, uh, as as the your situation or the question uh, dictates. Okay. I want to, again, endorse and take the opportunity to uh, tell people that, yes, get your copy of Cohesion Culture and Fanny Rules. I love the book. I haven't read through Fanny Rules yet, but I do have it here. I look forward to to reading through it, Troy. And my new favorite way to, to end, I've got a rapid fire section and I've now renamed it to one book, one gem, one step. You know here, Troy, that the buildings in Charleston aren't very tall. So you're never going to be in an elevator for too long, right? This elevator ride that we're about to go on, someone gets on at each floor because you're going to the top. So third floor of a building and they recognize you. And they ask you a question. And the only amount of time you're allotted is how long it would take to go up one elevator floor. So not very long. All right. Okay. So one book. What is one book, aside from Cohesion Culture and Fanny Rules, that someone should read to become a better leader? Go giver leader. Go give her a leader. Now another person jumps in the elevator and they're like, oh, Dr. Troy, I heard you on the Win Today podcast. Love everything that you that you and Ryan talked about. What is one gem 
one piece of advice that I can take with me beyond just this elevator floor that we're about to go up that is going to make me a better person, better leader? You don't have to do everything. You just need to be teachable. Now another person hops on, and this is on the last floor, and they say, man, Dr. Troy, I read through Cohesion Culture. Awesome book. I'm so glad to meet you in person. What is one step that I can take today to become a transformative leader? I would say focus on someone else before self. Focus on someone else before self. Folks, check out Dr. Troy and all the amazing work that he is doing. Remember that you are a leader and leadership in itself is not a complicated concept. It is very actionable and know that you have it within you and win today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Oh,